All right. That's a good way to start the morning, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. I heard some of you singing along. Some of you are having major TV deja vu right now, right? And I guarantee what song is going to be in your head for the rest of the day, right? You're going to be walking along doing that, right? I love how the big deal was there at the beginning, like now in color, right? That, that, was, that was the big thing. My, how times have changed. They've changed in terms of technology, but there's one thing that has not changed, and that's the reality of storms in our lives. And the last, if the last few weeks were any example, storms existed, uh, have existed since Gilligan's Island, and we know that they've existed long before Gilligan's Island because of our scripture passage for today. And, and, and it's a different crew. It's not the crew of Gilligan's Island, but it's Jesus and his disciples that set out for maybe what they thought was a three-hour tour, but it ended up being a little bit more than that as well. Regardless, this storm for the Gilligan's Island crew, it it changed their lives forever. They spent a good portion of their lives on that island. It, it changed their lives forever, same as the disciples. Storms have a way of doing that, don't they? Storms, whether they're on the outside or they're on our insides, they have a way of either breaking us or making us, whatever those storms are. When I was little, I don't know why, but I was so afraid of tornadoes. Anybody else afraid of tornadoes? I mean, you probably should be if one's coming towards your house, right? But I'm just saying, if there was anything that looked like a tornado, like there was a dark cloud in the sky, I'd be like, I think a tornado's coming. Because I was just so, I don't know why, it was just like this phobia that I had of dark clouds and if there was even like a tornado watch. And, and, and I, my parents still try to explain this to me. A, a watch is when the conditions are favorable. A warning is when you actually see one on the ground. But even if there was like a watch I was freaking out, and so what I would do is I had this plan, you know, if we were going to die, how, you know, where should I go? Uh, you know, if, if, if it's looking bad, I had this little blue weather radio that I would take. Um, I would have, uh, what else would I have? You um, uh, forget, what would I have? Blue weather radio, I would grab my flashlight. Oh, duh, I almost forgot. The most important thing you need if you're going to be stranded, you know, if your house collapses on top of you and you're just going to be stranded for days, Fruit snacks. So I had lots of fruit snacks as well, and that was my tornado plan, and I hid in the safest place that you could hide in our house is under the ping pong table, right? We had this homemade wooden ping pong table, and if the storms were coming, I would run, and my brother and I would hide under the ping pong table and just wait until everything um, got better or until my dad came down and said, you know, we've been upstairs for the last two hours, so you can, you can come on up and join the rest of us, right? I was just so afraid of tornadoes. I was so afraid of anything that looked like a storm. What are your storms these days? I know it's maybe kind of a, a hard thing to, to think about conceptually, but I don't doubt we have our fair share of them. Some of you, they're, they're easy to see because they're on the outside. They're very visible. People are aware of those. They can see those in your life. Maybe you experienced the death of a loved one. Some of you recently, I know it's been the loss of a job. Maybe it's a, a marriage that just continues to hit wave after wave of frustration and anger. Maybe it's a recent diagnosis that you or a loved one has experienced. Maybe it's a child with health complications. Maybe it's just uncertainty about the future. There's those storms, but there's also the storms that we face on the inside that are really easy to hide, and it's really easy to put on that nice, smiley church face and walk in and be like, well, we're at church, you know, so I better pull it together can't really show what's really going on, and it's this fear that you have about the future. You know, are things really going to work out for me? 
It's, it's that pain or the guilt that you're still carrying from a past mistake. It's that addiction today that you feel like you're fighting on your own. I think we all have to admit there's not a lack of storms in our lives. The question is not if the storms come. The question is when the storms come, how do you typically respond? The way that we respond to the storms in our lives will determine the course of our lives. Storms make us or break us, and no one knows that better than Jesus' own disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. That's where we're going to hang out for the majority of our time today. Luke chapter 8. I would encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. The, the ushers would love to give you one. Grab one on your way out from the bookshelves today. I would love for every single person to have a Bible open. That's how we learn together. I want you to hear God's voice a lot more than I want you to hear mine. So go ahead and grab those Bibles. Open up to Luke chapter 8. And we're starting a new series uh, today. It's called Just What We Need. Just What We Need. And it's based on the Gospel of Luke. We've been walking through the Gospels this year as a church. Matthew, Mark, we just got done with Mark, and now we're into Luke. And those three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what is known as the synoptic Gospels. And what do we mean by that is that a lot of people believe that Matthew was written first, and then the other two followed suit, and they all kind of borrow from each other. So you're going to see a lot of similarities contextually between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then there's John. And John's just kind of like, the way I like to put it is John is like one of those California surfer dudes that like wrote about Jesus' life. He's like, man, in the beginning was the word, dude. And the word was with God, right? You know, it's just like John is totally different than the other gospels. It's not one of the synoptics, but he's bringing in stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't have. But now we're into Luke and we're into these Gospels, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are one of the few stories that is included in all three of the synoptic Gospels. There's very few that all the Gospels hit, right? They're all covering different angles of Jesus' life. One of the very few stories that all three of those Gospels hit is Jesus calming the storm. And I wonder why, and I have to believe it was because looking back on their lives, this was a defining moment. Storms are very defining moments in our lives. They either make us or break us. At surface level, you look at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 22. It's a very innocent story starting out. It seems very basic. Jesus and disciples need to get to the other side of the lake, and so they hop in the boat. And we read that on that trip, Jesus decides to take a nap. Now, before we get into the theology of this passage, can I just say at face value, it is very comforting for me to know, and hopefully for you, that even Jesus needed a nap sometimes. Amen? Amen. Man, Fourth of July weekend, I hope you got a nap in. I hope you're not worn out from your vacation, right? Sometimes it's good to take a nap. It's one of the holiest things you can do sometimes. Take care of yourself. Jesus is taking a nap. And during the time, of course, that God is in the boat with you, that's when the storm comes up. And it's actually what Luke says, it defines it as a squall. Everybody say squall. So a squall is this sudden, sharp increase in wind speed that's usually associated with rain and, and thunderstorms and damaging wind and just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's not like you can see it on the horizon as a ship captain you can plan for it, but it actually just sort of comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. We know that the storm is getting worse and it's getting severe because some of these disciples are, are trained fishermen. They're seamen. They, they've, they've been out here before. You, you would think that, oh, I've seen this before. 
No, this is a different kind of storm. This is a, this is a squall that's coming on, and they've been in plenty of storms, but now they're in a panic, and they're afraid, and they're running under the, pig, the ping pong table, and, and, and they have their flashlight and their fruit snacks, and they're really afraid. But wait a minute. Jesus is in the boat with us. It's like for a moment they're freaking out, and, and the winds are coming, and they're trying to, to anchor down the sails, and they don't know what to do, and they forget. Jesus is in the boat with us. Sometimes in the middle of the storm, it's easy to forget Jesus is in the boat with you. We often forget that, so they don't know what to do, and they're freaking out. Where's Jesus when we need him most? Oh, wait, he's napping, right? So we got to go get Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Mark's version of this, in the middle of the storm, maybe you can relate, I don't know, sometimes the disciples yell out, and maybe you have too, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm caught in the middle of this storm? We are going to drown. Don't you know what's going on here, Jesus? Things are out of control. Jesus says, no, they're not. He simply stands up and he says, peace, be still. And it says that the wind and the waves were Hushed, quiet, be still. Do you ever notice in the middle of the storm, the ones freaking out were the disciples. Jesus never got nervous. Jesus never got stressed out. And maybe that's because he knew who his father was. That was really in charge. The storm was Hushed, or the Greek word here is phameo. Everybody say phameo. Phameo. The storm was phameo. It is better translated, get this, as muzzled. Jesus muzzled the storm. You ever like run into like a big scary dog, like on the sand lot, like this big huge dog, right? And you're so scared. Or if you encounter a bear in the woods or something like that, and it's just so powerful and overwhelming, you think about muzzling the dog, right? Jesus muzzled, phameoed the storm. In other words, he took all the power and all the bite out of the storm. Right in the middle of it. He didn't say, oh no, there's a storm. What am I going to do? He just stared right into the face of it. I love those pictures of this scene when Jesus just stands on the front of it, like he does his own Titanic impersonation, right? Jesus is out there on the front of the boat. Phameo. Hushed. Nobody does that. No, who, who has control over the weather? Well, that would be God, the one who created the wind and the waves. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, he's pointing to this. Sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly. Who is this Jesus? And that's why the disciples, when they see this, their first, it it says, in fear and amazement, you do know those things can coexist, right? That we can have a healthy fear of the power of God and yet be completely amazed by him. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water and they obey him. A chapter earlier, Jesus raises somebody from the dead. A chapter later, Jesus heals some sickness and casts out demons. And here, he calms the storm. There's only one person that can do that, and that's God. 
This is no ordinary man. So it'd be very easy to just stop right there and say, great, you know what? And make this quick little snap conclusion. And the, you know, everybody, Jesus wants to heal your storm. Uh, he wants to, to calm your storm, and he'll always fix it. And whatever you're going through right now, Jesus will calm your storm. Amen? Let's go home. Well, that would be silly, because that's not biblical. What if he doesn't? Some of you are saying, I have been in the middle of a storm for a long time right now, or I'm in the middle of one right now. It just came up. And I've been asking Jesus to fameo it for a long time, some of you are saying, and that hasn't happened. Not to mention that there are two facts about this story that are very easy to overlook. Go back to the beginning of the story. Number one, I'd like to point out, the disciples got in a boat with Jesus, a.k.a. God. If you get into a boat with God, are you feeling pretty good about your chances to make it to the other side, right? The disciples got in a boat with God. Number two, a storm started. Those two things we think should not coexist. I got on board with Jesus, and then my life got harder. Wait a minute, that doesn't line up in our minds and our thinking. Sometimes... We have this expectation that I'm going to start to follow Jesus or I'm going to get saved or I'm going to have this spiritual experience and then, to be honest, don't raise your hands here or anything. I'm not here to judge you, but how many of you have thought at one point or another, things should at least get a little easier but not harder? You ever thought that? Man, things would just get a little easier, certainly not more difficult for me. Or even take it a step further. Sometimes we think things like, well, you know, I've heard people say this. God, I have been so faithful to you. I, 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 uh, I, I put in my time at church. Just that statement right there is, ugh. I've put in my time at church. I, I, I've been a pretty good person and, 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 I, and, I, and I pray quite a bit and I, and I read my Bible and this is what you give me in return? This is not what I signed up for, Jesus seems to be a legitimate way of seeing life. The only problem is it's not biblical. Nowhere in Scripture do we see this mindset of, well, God, I'm going to kind of scratch your back, and then you can scratch mine. That would be other religions. That's not Christianity. Christianity isn't <laughs> you get what you deserve. There's something called grace. If we got what we deserved, none of us would be here. You don't get what you deserve. You get way more than that. You get grace. That's why we need Jesus. Right in the middle of the storm. That's what we get. God doesn't operate in that way. He exists in real life. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 5 that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and on the unrighteous. There's no favorites here. We live in a broken, sinful world where sometimes the storms just come up. Jesus exists in reality. That's why he says later on in John chapter 16, let's read this together up on the screen, nice and loud, and it's kind of some final words to his disciples. He says this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus makes a lot of promises to us in Scripture. 
But sometimes you and I, we operate in what's called a false narrative. We make up stories and ideas about God and about Jesus that just aren't true. They're based on our experiences rather than the truth of Scripture. And one of the false narratives that we live into is that when we get in the boat with Jesus, number one, things should certainly be comfortable, and number two, things should certainly be a little bit more predictable now that God's in my life. And those of you that have been following Jesus for a while know how absurd those two statements are. It's actually the opposite, isn't it? And you've discovered this startling truth that following Jesus doesn't make life easier. It makes life worth living. It makes life worth living. Instead, what promise does Jesus say in the, in the passage? He says, I have overcome. I can muzzle. I can fameo anything that's going on in your life. So take heart. Hold on. Take heart, Jesus says. I feel like as a parent, every day I get a new glimpse of God's heart as father for us. And so a few weeks back, I was tasked with uh, getting our two-year-old Caleb to uh, our staff daycare at Hope on time by 9 o'clock. You would think, oh, geez, John, by 9 o'clock, certainly you'd be able to do this. We just had a baby a couple weeks ago, and we are treading water here. So I'm right in the storm with you, okay? So it is a... Parents, you know this. Do you ever feel like when you walk into church in the morning with your kids that somebody should just hug you and give you a high five and say, congratulations, this is the biggest accomplishment of your week, right? (laughs) Amen. Like, you made it to church. Praise God, right? If nothing else, right, you made it here and they're clothed and somewhat fed, maybe, or the other way around, right? It's an accomplishment, and that's how we've been feeling recently. So, like, it's kind of like divide and conquer. So, Tiffany was taking Evie this morning, our, our newborn. I was in charge of getting Caleb, so I was pretty proud of myself. I got clothes on him. He ate, he pounded some yogurt, so we're good to go there. I get him in the car. Everything's great. What could go wrong? And we're on our way, driving out to West Des Moines, and all of a sudden, they're literally like a squall, right? Can we hear that again? Just to, to kind of set this, just to kind of draw the, the parallel there. Let's, 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 so th- this is what happens on 235, okay? And I'm thinking, oh, that's okay. Daycare's inside. It'll be fine. And then I'm thinking, I didn't bring a coat for my son. He's in shorts and a t-shirt, and we are going to get drenched. So there we are, and this is what I'm experiencing in the parking lot. Oh, great. There's a funeral. Now, nothing against the funeral people, but there's a lot of cars in the parking lot, right? And so we have to park in the back 40 way out there at Hope West Des Moines, right? Because I got to get all the way to the daycare with my son who does not have a coat. Epic fail as a dad. Dad's ever had an epic fail as a parent, right? This is just, this is not going well, okay? So I get out and I'm just like, we're late. We're already late. I, buddy, I have to get you in there. And he goes, Daddy, raining. And I, yes, it's raining. And I grab him and I hold him as tight as I can and like tuck him in and try to cover him up. I, I'm going to get soaked, but at least maybe he'll be a little dry. So I'm covering him up and I'm just running. You know what Forrest Gump, when he says, it was sideways rain and the rain was coming right up on all this stuff, right? That's the end of the track, I guess. Um, <laughs> though that was continuing and, and the, the rain was coming from all over and finally... We get all the way in there, and I hear in the middle of us running and splat. It had rained the day before. We're splashing through the puddles, and it's just, you're <laughs> just soaked. And I hear him go, kind of this little squeak, because I hope I'm not suffocating him. But what I hear is, Dad! whoa, not that. I hear, Daddy! 
Like, what are you doing, Father? What are you thinking? Like, we're going to die. For me, it was like, I don't know, I don't know, 50 yards. And for him, it was like an eternity probably. And we find. We finally get into the, the vestibule uh, inside, and I set him down, and we're both just soaked. And I, I, I'm thinking, man, when I take my arms off him, he's just going to be just crying, just bawling because of this, this terrible experience that I put him through. And he's just soaked, and there's, like, water dripping down in his eyes, and he hasn't quite figured out how to, like, wa- wipe it away, so he's just, like, blinking. You know, like being in the pool and you go like this. Like he hasn't figured that out yet. And he just looks up at me and I think like he's going to be so mad or angry or bawling. He just looks at me and he goes, Daddy? I go, yeah, buddy. He goes, Caleb need a big coat. (laughs) In the midst of the storm, (laughs) my son at two years old is already learning from it. Did you notice that? Like, there's this, this innocence that we have as children that sometimes when we get older and, and we're in the middle of the storm, we're always asking, why? Why me? I'm such a victim. Why is this happening? And I'm not trying to downplay the storms that are in your life. But somewhere along the line, we, we lost the ability, like kids, to ask questions like, what? Like, what are you trying to teach me? So just, why God all the time? Caleb's just saying, I think next time I need a bigger coat. Come on, Dad. Like, he's already learning from that. So there's a couple things I want you to know this morning. Number one, whatever you're facing, God has you so wrapped up tightly in his arms. I just remember the whole way running through the parking lot. I'm like hyperventilating because I'm so out of shape and I'm so wet. I'm just going, we're going to make it. We're going to make it, buddy. We're going to make it. Trust me. And that's what God's saying to you today. Just hold on. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. And secondly, in the middle of the storm, know that there are things to learn. That God has not stopped working in your story. I love how James chapter 1 puts it. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Some of you have heard this before. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work in you. Everybody say, finish its work. Finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you are like, (laughs) consider it joy? Yeah, right. Forget that. Okay, whatever you're going through right now, maybe not joy right now, but have you ever just considered? Just stop the sentence right there. Consider. When's the last time you looked back at the big picture of your life, even at the rough patches, even in the middle of the pain and the storms, and said, What is God up to? What is he trying to show me? What is he trying to show us as a family, as a couple? What is God doing? It's it's painful and it's frustrating. Yeah, but have you ever stared at your storms in the face and said, God, what are you doing? Now, do I believe that God intentionally causes storms and pain in our life? Absolutely not. There is the story of Job. That is a completely different context. 
in the way that God operated in the Old Testament, the way he was doing that. I do not believe that God intentionally brings pain into our lives. What I believe is that God never wastes our pain. And I believe that God can use the pain, and I believe that he can use the storms in our lives to weave together the fabric and make this beautiful quilt, this beautiful picture. What is the goal? (laughs) Sometimes we lose track of that, and I believe that's what James speaks to. At the end of all this, it's because you know that faith produces perseverance, and perseverance makes you mature and complete. The goal is to be mature and complete. The goal is not to get life all figured out and always have all the answers. I think so often we start following Jesus and we start growing in our faith. And if you're anything like me, we're, we're challenged to love and we're challenged to serve. And, and Brianne's always standing up here asking for volunteers. And John's always saying, we need more of this and we need more of this. And get out of your comfort zone and serve in this area or join a life group or make worship a priority during the week. And we start thinking, man, this is taking up a lot of time and I got to make all these sacrifices. And we start believing the lie that living as a full-time follower of Jesus is just too hard. It's just too hard. It just requires too much of me. When really, it's just uncomfortable or inconvenient for your schedule. Oh, it's too hard. How could anybody possibly live that way? And really, it's just taking us out of our comfort zone or it's God saying, am I going to be in control of your schedule? Am I going to be in control of your priorities? You do know I just muzzled a storm. And yet you think you're in charge. When's the last time you asked God what his goals for your life are? And so often what happens, instead of letting Jesus refine us and refine our character that we would be mature, to use this analogy for today, we jump ship. We jump ship. On a very practical level, we say, you know what? My life group is just getting a little bit too challenging, and they're starting to challenge me and starting to push me on some things. And that's, you know, I've tried, John, I've tried to do that small group thing before. The people just get after you, and, and, and I have to, like, change things about my life, and I don't want to do that. If I were to sign up for this ministry team, it means if I'm going to serve in that way, it means I can't keep my schedule. It means I can't keep my priority and my agenda. I mean, I think I can serve once a month, but doesn't Jesus understand how full my schedule is? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. It's way too full. And some of you are going to get to the end of the summer and you're going to need a vacation from your vacation. It's way too full. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, and all these other things will be added to you. I was meeting with a mentor of mine a few years ago, and I was telling him about some pain I was experiencing and wrestling with some things in my past and some difficulty, and, and, and the reality was, it wasn't that my life was hard, it was that God was making my life uncomfortable and inconvenient because of this thing called marriage, a.k.a. rooting all the selfishness out of me. And you think you're selfish, get married, and then have kids. Like, I'm number four now. I'm not one, I'm not two, I'm not three. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. And that's hard, guys especially, because we like to take care of ourselves first. Jesus says, flip that. 
And so I'm talking to my mentor about this. I'm struggling with my selfishness, and we're having that defining conversation. Are those those moments in your life where you can look back on right now and say, that was a defining moment in my story? This was for me. And I was just rattling off and making all these excuses about how life was so hard and felt like God was out to get me and all this stuff. And he looked at me and he said, just ready to turn 30. And he said, John, what if instead, what if instead of your 30s being a decade of building and striving and achieving and being busy and doing all these things for God, what if this was a decade of excavation, of letting God dig up all the lies and all the habits and all the things that you have done for so long that are not of me? And then he said this, as if I was supposed to know. Yeah, what 29-year-old knows this? He says, John, you do know that God's primary work in your life is your character and not your success. You do know that what God is after in all of your lives, regardless of what decade you're in, he never stops working, and spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. John, you do know that God's primary purpose for your life is to refine and to hone your character and to get at those things that are not of him so that when, you, when he looks at you, he would see his reflection in the mirror, that he would see you looking like his son, that God's primary work in your life is your character and not your perception of success or the way that the world defines success. Well, there's a lot, folks, that we can learn in the storms of life. And usually we get that backwards. Sometimes we, we got to stop and ask, when it comes to my relationship with God, am I following Jesus to feel good and get some inspiration once a week in the sermon and then so I can get to heaven someday? Or am I following Jesus because he has a plan and a purpose for my life and he wants me to look outside of myself and start living for things that matter and be transformed now. Eternity starts now. What are you living for? What narrative are you living? What if we have been looking at the storms in our lives all wrong? What if we've been looking at them no matter what decade you're in? What if we saw the storms in our lives as, as, as opportunities rather than things to be avoided, but we saw them as opportunities to ask God, what are you doing? And how are you weaving all of these pieces together? Many of you have taken God up on this, those of you that have been in our, our leadership huddles or those of you that have taken the core class we do this thing called a life map. And this is mine right here. I'm going to tell you all my deepest, darkest secrets right now. Here we go. No, I'm just kidding. They're on here, which is a step for me, and maybe for a lot of you, you've never taken the time to look back on your life. Some of you have been around for a long time, and you've never done this. So what we encourage people to do is to take one color sticky note, for me, it was the pink, and that was the highs, the joys in my life, the good things that have happened. And then take another color sticky note. For me, that was the blues of the painful things. 
of the difficult things. And then on the bottom, to, I kind of labeled the seasons of my life, and then on the bottom, what is it that God was trying to teach me? So we, we do this at our core retreat, and we got it coming up this September. would encourage you to take that. So, <laughs> 50, 60, 70-year-olds have come up to me and said, John, I always thought that these painful, dark places of my past were just these isolated, random incidents that I was like, where is God? And now I'm looking back and I'm seeing them in the context and the map of everything that else what God was doing in my life. I'm like, now it makes sense. Now I see what God was doing as I've invited him into all these different places in my life. I've never done that, some of you said. And the more I talk to people and you start asking people, what were the defining moments in your life? Where were those times when you grew the most? And 95% of the time, it's in conflict, in pain, in difficulty. Men, in particular, I just want to speak to you on this for a second. The way that God initiates us from spiritual boyhood to spiritual manhood Conflict, hardship. I'm not making it up. Just read scripture, and any man that God used significantly was wounded before God was able to use him in significant ways. And we say, I want to avoid it. And God says, Fameo. Hushed. Now let me speak to you. And let me speak into your life. Individually, sometimes those moments can leave bad tastes in our mouth, and we kind of wonder, God, what are you up to? And some of you are in one of those bad-tasting moments right now. I was thinking about this this week, and this may seem goofy for some of you, but it made sense to me. How many of you have ever baked a cake, like legitimately baked a cake on your own with all the ingredients? Okay, quite a few. Um, I, so I have no clue how to bake a cake. I have never... <laughs> So this might fall flat. I have no idea how to bake a cake. I, I, I don't. Um, I did watch the show Cake Boss once, though, so I think I'm an expert. So the, there's, there's these uh, ingredients, right? All these things that go into a cake. So you've got, um, okay, help a man out here. What do you got? What's in a, what's in a cake? Eggs, flour, butter, sugar, milk. Pringles? What did you say? Oh, sprinkles. Somebody said sprinkles. Okay, gotcha. Pringles. That would be an interesting cake. Sprinkles. Okay, vanilla extract. Like, okay, all these other things, right? So think about, just think about each of those ingredients like laid out on the table by themselves, okay? So kind of something like that. Just think about, I guess I could have just looked up there at my own slide, right? What, think about every single one of those ingredients. When's the last time you ever like cut a stick of butter in half and just let it melt in your mouth? <laughs> Did I just ruin your lunch? Yeah. How about just a whole cup of flour? Just, right? Just that by itself, right? Gross, right? No, you would never do that, right? How about just crack, just one at a time, just crack an egg? What if we just did that with every single one of those ingredients, right? Flour, ugh, I don't want, it, I don't want that, right? Crack an egg, ugh, bleh, right? Some of you are weird like that. You would do that, right? What if we did that? Butter, ugh, I mean, just every single ingredient, ah, that by itself is just not good. What, we would be left with what? A pile of sugar. That's what we'd be left with instead of a cake, right? That's basically what we would have. 
But that's not how ingredients work. You don't necessarily care how every single one tastes. What matters is that you're going to mix it all together. You're going to stick it in the oven. And what comes out at the end is this mature and complete product. And that's what God wants you to know this morning is right in the middle of your storm. He said, I know you've got all these pieces. I know you've got all these different color sticky notes. And I've got them too, even as your pastor. And often I sit back and I go, why, God? What are you doing? And it's easy to feel like the victim. And it's easy to feel like that storm is never going to end. Like, God, where are you? And it's so easy to forget the behind the scenes. God's saying, I know, and there's that piece and that piece and that piece, but I am weaving your story together. And even the ingredients that don't seem to make sense and that have left a bitter taste in your mouth, God says, I'm behind the scenes and I'm going to mix it all together. I have plans for you as we sang this morning. I am for you. I'm not against you. I have plans for you, for a future and for hope, and I'm mixing all those pieces here of your life together because I want you to be mature and complete, and my goal for your life is that you would have the character of Jesus Christ and learn to live for things that matter, not that your life would be easy or comfortable. Amen? God says, let me mix it all together and put it in the oven, and at the end of your life, Maturity, completeness. God says, I long for that. We're running through the rain and Caleb's thinking, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? And I just want him to know, I'm not doing this to you. I'm in it with you. I'm not causing this harm on you. I just, I just long for him to know, like, we're gonna make it. And yeah, maybe someday we'll look back and he'll have this repressed memory and he'll need therapy about rainstorms. And it's like, <laughs> oh, epic dad fail again, right? He might look at it as, man, that was terrible. I look at it as, that's one of my favorite memories with my son. Because I got to hold him really, really close. And I guarantee that for those of you that are in that storm right now or that have experienced it in the past, you can say, if you let him in, God's never been so close. He's never been so close. Just hold on. Don't quit. Don't jump ship. That's what a lot of Jesus' disciples were doing and in the middle of his ministry, it was getting really hard, and he was getting really uncomfortable, and Jesus was saying all these controversial things and making claims on people's time and dedication and sacrifice, and so 90% of Jesus' followers walked away. He said, I, this is too much, Jesus, and Jesus looked at the 12, and he said, you guys going to leave too? Storm was too much for you, huh? You going to quit? You're going to give up? And Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You are the Holy One. You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, I'm staying in the boat. Little did he know that a little while later, he would be the one that's called to step out of the boat in the middle of the storm 
and keep his eyes on Jesus. You just hold on, Jesus says. You just hold on. You gotta stay in the boat. You gotta stay in that small group, even if it's hard. You gotta stay with this church thing, this, this church thing that's in the middle of a crazy busy life, and there's so many other things that can soak up and grab your time and pull at your attention. But it's so easy to try to do Christianity alone, but you were created for the church. You gotta stay in the boat here. You gotta stay in the boat and hold on. That's how you are going to become a mature man or woman of God. Just hold on. And that was the famous words of Tom Hanks to his friend, the volleyball, Wilson. Some of you remember the film Castaway, and at the very end, he decides to make a run for it. Instead of avoiding the storm and playing it safe and staying on the island, Hanks' character Chuck finally says, I'm going to stare right into the face of the storm, and I'm going to go for it. And he says to Wilson and he says to us, you just hang on. Let's take a look. Hear your father say to you this morning, you just hold on. Whatever it is, you just hold on. And someday you are going to look back at the storm. You're going to look back at the storm as the waves and the wind recede. And you're going to hear God's voice from me. Oh, hushed. You're going to look back and you're going to see his goodness and his faithfulness. And in those places where you thought there was no way, God made a way. Where there was no way, God made a way. You just hold on and keep the faith. Amen? Let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion.